Doctors have the power to save lives, but some of them choose to take them away. Dr. Christopher Dunch was a rising star as a neurosurgeon in Texas, but the truth was he was a man with a deadly God complex who used his scalpel like a weapon while the medical system looked the other way. Even as he marketed himself as the best spinal doctor in Dallas, he butchered his patients, leaving them paralyzed, in permanent pain, or dead. Almost every one of his surgeries should have been routine fixes for neck and back pain. NBC's Peacock recently released a fictionalized version of the Wondery podcast about this case, hosted by Laura Beale. It was a good series, but it made us wonder, what's the true story behind this case? Who are the real people? And were these honest mistakes or calculated attempts to maim and murder? Let's get into it. I'm Chris, and this is True Crime Recaps. In 2010, Dunch rolled into Texas like the next big thing in spinal surgery, and according to his 12-page resume, he was. He earned his MD-slash-PhD program at the University of Tennessee College and Medicine in Memphis, which also included a neurosurgical residency. And he did his fellowship in minimally invasive spine surgery at the prestigious Sems Murphy Clinic in Memphis. But what made him stand out even more was the research he did into treating spine injuries with stem cells, according to ProPublica. His name is on a variety of patents and papers, and he even helped start Discgenics, which is a company focused on developing stem cell treatments. Now, this is where it gets even more convoluted. One of the investors in that company was his supervisor during his residency years, a doctor named Kevin Foley. Kelsey Grammer played him in the Peacock series. So why does his status as an investor matter? Because Dunch was supposed to be focusing on both his research work and his residency hours. Now, typically, an aspiring neurosurgeon has to participate in more than 1,000 surgeries during his residency. And according to ProPublica, he did less than 100. And during that same time period, an anonymous tip clued his supervisors into the fact that he was, at least on one occasion, operating on people after a night of doing LSD, cocaine, and drinking. They drug tested him, but he came up with an excuse why he couldn't do it right away, and by the time they did test his pee, it was clean. He went away to a sort of rehab for doctors program anyway, but let's just say it barely made a dent in his permanent record, and despite everything, he left Tennessee for Texas with a letter of recommendation from his supervisor, Dr. Kevin Foley. Interesting, huh? Here's a fact that's even more telling. After 15 years of research and school and his residency and fellowship, Chris Dunch found himself over a half million dollars in debt. But you know what pays well? Neurosurgery, to the tune of about $600,000 a year. So he stopped focusing as much on his research in favor of operating on human beings. In Texas, he started out at the Minimally Invasive Spine Institute, which is where he met his medical assistant, Kim Morgan. In the Peacock series, they call her a doctor, but she was actually an advanced practice nurse, not to mention his girl on the side. At the time, he was living with a woman he met in Memphis named Wendy Young. They had two sons together, but he told Kim that Wendy was just his secretary and a friend. Kim helped him set up his practice, the Texas Neurological Institute, and much, much later, she helped get him convicted. But we're not quite there just yet. First, you need to know more about how he was allowed to permanently maim and or kill 33 out of 38 patients over the span of 18 months in Texas. 
In 2011, when Dunch breezed into the Dallas area with his girlfriend Wendy and his childhood best friend Jerry Summers, he was offered surgery privileges by one of the biggest, most prestigious hospitals in Texas. I'm talking about Baylor Regional Medical Center in Plano. And with that said, let's pause here for some quick background information. Now, I'm not a doctor, obviously, so I did some basic research into what it means to be given surgical privileges and what the benefits to a hospital might be. So here's what we found out. If they like what they see and references and qualifications check out, hospitals can offer independent physicians like Dunch the use of their facilities to perform outpatient or operating room surgeries. They also get a cut of the fees. And when it comes to neurosurgery, there are big dollar signs involved for the hospital, not just the surgeon. As of 2020, neurosurgeons were among the highest revenue generating specialties for hospitals, bringing in $3.4 million on average, according to a survey conducted by Merritt Hawkins and published by Becker Healthcare. So that's a lot of dollars. And you know what that means. With that much money on the line, there's a lot of denial and finger pointing. So as we go through the atrocities of this case and you ask yourself how the medical system could have just let this happen. Just remember all those dollar signs and you'll have your answer. So beyond all his prestigious credentials, Dunch had a couple of other things going for him. Qualities that made his patients trust him and made it easy for hospitals to hire him. For one thing, his extreme narcissism came off like confidence. And hey, you want your doctor to be confident, right? He, he told his patients he was going to turn their lives around and they believed him. Why wouldn't they? He even had four and five star reviews on healthgrades.com. He was the epitome of too good to be true. When Baylor called his references to ask about his weaknesses or areas for improvement, they were told that his only weakness was that he took on too many tasks for one person, according to an email Baylor sent to ProPublica published by OprahDaily.com. Hmm... Now, it sounds about as fishy as telling an employer your only weakness is that you're a perfectionist. And obviously, we know that as far as weaknesses went, Dunch had a few more than that. By December 2011, he had already destroyed three people's health. One man was left with fragments of bone in his spinal canal, and another he operated on the wrong part of his back, then told the patient the operation was a success. Eventually, after trying to correct the situation with a second surgery, he left the man temporarily paralyzed and permanently debilitated and in excruciating pain. It was around this time that he sent a four-page email to his medical assistant-slash-girlfriend, Kim Morgan. The grandiose claims he made in it help answer the fundamental question, did he know what he was doing or not? Some of the more chilling quotes from that email paint a picture of an egotistical, power-hungry man who not only knew what he was doing, but reveled in the power he held over life and death. I want to read you a few of the excerpts as published by the Dallas News. Anyone close to me thinks that I likely am something between God, Einstein, and the Antichrist. Because how can I do anything I want and cross every discipline boundary like it's a playground and never, ever lose? But unfortunately, despite the fact I am winning, it is not happening fast enough. You, my child, are the only one between me and the other side. I am ready to leave the love and kindness and goodness and patience that I mix with everything else that I am and become a cold-blooded killer. And then there's this statement. What I am being is what I am, 
one-of-a-kind, a mother effer, stone-cold killer that can buy or own or steal or ruin or build whatever he wants. But he was far from the gifted surgeon he claimed to be. After a series of horrific surgical outcomes at Baylor and rumors of operating while drunk or high on cocaine or both, the administration told him to stick to simpler surgeries for a while. So in early 2012, Jerry Summers, his childhood best friend, who he'd brought with him to Texas as sort of a personal assistant, asked him to fix the pain he'd been dealing with for years. The procedure should have been routine elective spinal fusion surgery, but he woke up a quadriplegic. According to doctors who later reviewed the case, the man had damaged his friend's vertebral artery, causing him to lose 10 times the normal amount of blood. According to doctors who later reviewed the case, the man had damaged his friend's vertebral artery, causing him to lose 10 times the normal amount of blood, according to Mother Jones Magazine. To stop the bleeding, Dunch packed the space with so much anticoagulant that it squeezed his spine. And then, after he destroyed his friend, he disappeared from his life. He never came to check on him. He didn't order any scans. He didn't ask another doctor for help. He never even apologized. Jerry died in February 2021 from an infection connected to the botched surgery. He'd long since forgiven his friend, but back then, when it happened, he was angry enough to tell anyone that would listen that he and Dunch were using cocaine the night before his operation. Later, in a 2017 deposition, he claimed to have made it up to get his friend's attention. But long before that deposition, Chris's drug and alcohol use was already an open secret. His pattern was to do cocaine for two to four days at a time. He would work and do cocaine. Following two to four days of cocaine use, he would crash for a day or two and no one could reach him. Nevertheless, Baylor Plano did not drug test him, did not investigate his unusual behavior, and did not heed the warnings they were getting about him from hospital staff that had seen his behavior for themselves. He would drink vodka beginning in the morning. He would start by mixing it with juices, but would convert to clear mixes throughout the day. In addition, he illegally obtained prescription drugs such as Lortab, Xanax, and OxyContin for his own use. He was known to use alcohol while working as a neurosurgeon. Moreover, alcohol, drugs, and drug paraphernalia were found in his office at Baylor Plano, according to a lawsuit filed by his first victim, Kenneth Fennell, and published in the Courthouse News. After permanently paralyzing his best friend, Baylor put him on leave for a month. When he came back to work in spring of 2012, he killed a woman. Elementary school teacher Kelly Martin fell off a ladder and suffered nerve damage and pain that she wanted fixed. When she went under Dunch's knife, he cut a major artery and she bled to death. That was the final straw for Baylor. His time was up there. He knew it, and they knew it. But before they could fire him, he resigned, which meant they didn't need to report him to the Texas Medical Board or the National Practitioner Data Bank, which is where all the dirt on doctors end up. However, it's not accessible by the public, which is part of the problem. And many hospitals don't report bad actions in fear of being sued by the doctor. However, by this time, his horrific surgeries had come to the attention of two doctors who ended up being instrumental in bringing the case against him. As one of those doctors told the Texas Observer, I couldn't believe a trained surgeon could do this. He just had no recognition of the proper anatomy. At every step of the way, you would have to know the right thing to do so you could do the wrong thing because he did all the wrong things. 
But the day he was put in prison for life was still years away. Meanwhile, Dunch moved on to the Dallas Medical Center a few months later. That's where he killed another woman. Floella Brown died of a stroke after he sliced her vertebral artery. The hospital revoked his privileges and he moved on to yet another hospital. More gruesome attempts at surgery followed. Some patients got spinal screws inserted into nerves or tissue. Others had parts of nerves and muscle removed unnecessarily. One woman had all but one of her vocal cords severed. She'll never speak above a whisper again. It was when he almost killed a third person by sewing a surgical sponge into the man's neck that the Texas Medical Board finally pulled his medical license in June 2013. But it wasn't enough to take it from him in Texas. Dunch was the type of narcissistic psychopath that would just move to another state and take up the scalpel again. His whole life was an example of his inability to recognize when he was wrong. In college, he played football and refused to give up when he wasn't doing well. Now, the ability to keep trying sounds like a good quality, right? But it was more diabolical than that. As experts pointed out, part of the Hippocratic Oath includes swearing to ask for help if you don't know the answer, for the good of the patient. Admitting he was wrong wasn't possible for him. He knew he couldn't keep his promises to his patients, but he didn't care. He knew he could always get another willing patient, if not in Texas, then somewhere else. By July 2015, the Dallas District Attorney's Office filed criminal charges against him, something which had never been done before. He faced one count of injury to an elderly person, referring to a patient of his by the name of Mary Efford. She was on his table at Dallas Medical Center in 2012. He left her paralyzed from the waist down. Another doctor, one of the whistleblowers we can thank for getting Dunch out of the medical community, did a second surgery to try and correct his work. He discovered a horror show in her body. Dunch had cut through the center nervous system, put a screw into a nerve root, and there was evidence that he tried screwing it into other areas on her spine before that. Other charges against him included five counts of aggravated assault with deadly weapons, which are what they called his hands and surgical tools. After hearing from some of his patients and witnessing his complete lack of remorse, it took the jury only four hours to send him to prison for life. He won't be eligible for parole until 2045, but as the series and podcast about this case accurately point out, this could very easily happen again. The system is broken. And without transparency on these doctors, we as patients can only do so much research. And for the most part, hospitals prefer to just let a bad doctor go quietly so they can limit their own exposure and dollars. That probably won't change anytime soon. So all we can do is what research we do have available and spread the word as much as possible. And that's your recap. Thanks for spending your time with me today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, please take a minute to give this a five-star review and a comment. It really helps us spread the word about the show. Thanks again, and until next Wednesday, take care.